Welcome to the No Shame on You podcast, where we talk to mental health professionals, educators, and advocates. No Shame on You is a 501c3 organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. Our goal is for people who need help to seek it, for family members and friends to know how to provide proper support and to save lives. Welcome to the 35th episode of the No Shame on You podcast. No Shame on You is an organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising mental health awareness. I'm Wendy Singer, Director of Programming for No Shame on You. And we are honored to be here with a very special man today, Frank Komada. Frank is a mental health advocate with 25 years of experience working in the nonprofit human services sector in various capacities and settings and in the public sector for state and local government. In his current role as an employment counselor at the Suffolk County Department of Labor on Long Island, Frank helps persons on public assistance to re-enter the workforce and connects employers with job seekers. Quite a few of these job seekers have had barriers to employment, including those which are referred to as either physical or emotional behavioral limitations. After a long journey coming to terms with his own mental illness, Frank embarked on a mission to utilize his writing and public speaking abilities to become a mental wellness and suicide prevention speaker, trainer, author, and advocate. Since 2018, he has spoken to groups of nonprofit professionals, business leaders, fraternal organizations, and at school-based events for parents, students, and educators. Frank has also been interviewed on local radio for podcasts and has conducted both virtual and in-person, in-person trainings. Seven, several years ago, Frank created and facilitates a group on LinkedIn, a social media platform called Mental Health Change Agents, Advocates, Motivational Speakers, And we'll talk about that in a moment, but that's how I was connected with this wonderful man. This space has a purpose to foster dialogue between mental health clinicians and people with lived experience like himself. His his aims in writing and telling his story are to educate and reduce stigma, normalize talking about mental health, and make it safer for those in emotional pain to ask for help and for them to be treated with dignity when they do so. Frank is also a suicide survivor. And as you can see from that description, and I'll stop talking in a moment, Frank is an incredible match for our podcast and the work we do with No Shame on You to eliminate stigma surrounding mental health challenges. Um, So Frank, welcome. Thank you for coming here today. Pleased to be here. Thank you. And, uh, you know, the, the feelings are mutual. I am honored to have met you, Wendy, and I'm totally blown away by the great work that No Shame on You is doing. So just keep rocking it. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, you know, how I met Frank was a, a month or two ago, a couple months ago now. I was on LinkedIn, which is a great platform, and I was exploring different groups um, for networking and mental health information. And I came upon his group um, and I signed up for it. It has, we'll talk about this a little bit later. It has 
over 16,000 people connected to the group. And we were working on a project for No Shame on You called No Shame on You Stories. Uh, we, we asked folks to who are comfortable to share stories about their mental health journey. And I reached out to Frank, not knowing he was the founder of this group. And he responded and we started a connection and he recorded an incredible video that was, was really inspirational. And um, that's how we met. So, and then we've been going back and forth and he does some incredible things. And here we are on our podcast. So tell our listeners, Frank, a little bit about, a little bit more about you, um, your mental health journey and the work you do. Well, thanks for this opportunity and uh, the opportunity to share my story in the clip, too. I think it's such a great thing to do, you know, in this day and age with uh, video being the go-to place and technology. And you guys are really making great use of that, this podcast included. So about me, uh, well, I'm a 58-year-old Italian-American male, cisgender. I'm married. I have three stepchildren and a lovely 10-year-old grandson who I get to play with a lot. I, I caught a have a second childhood with him. I was born in Brooklyn, New York and raised here on Long Island, New York. Um, you've already mentioned my profession, so I'll launch into a little bit about my mental health journey. Um, my paternal grandmother, as well as my father, had what was then called manic depression. And, uh, you know, uh, dad was much less than, uh, you know, his the severity of his um, mental illness was much less profound, but when grandma came to visit, it could be very unpredictable, chaotic, uh, depending upon where she was at, and, and scary too, I have to say in all honesty. So when in my teens, I began to have some symptoms of depression or other types of, you know, kind of mood swings and whatnot, I thought, oh my God, you know, like, is that going to be me? You know, and so my reaction to that was to hide that as best as I could, um, you know, and just sort of put my game face on. And, you know, I, I often say I didn't want to stink up the room with my uh, mood if I was down. So I was like that person in the drug commercial with the smiley face on, you know. Meanwhile, or, or as we often say, the sad clown, you know, kind of thing. I'm thinking about Robin Williams right now being an example of a person in pain, but I was more concerned about the people around me. So um, after my third suicide attempt, that's when I began to say, gee, I better take this seriously or it's going to seriously take me. And uh, with the help of family, uh, my wife and my mother in particular, I started to get help. And as an outgrowth of that, uh, over time, I was like, wait a second, I do writing and public speaking. A lot of people are afraid of public speaking, and yet I, writing kind of comes naturally to me as well as um, speaking. So I was like, why not put those skills to use? Because instead of rejecting that part of my identity, I began to embrace it as a piece of me. And I saw myself as belonging to this tribe of people with mental illnesses. And quite frankly, I didn't like how we were being perceived and treated. And I thought, well, I almost felt it was like akin to, I read a book about the physical uh, disabilities. It was the 30th anniversary of the ADA recently, about a year or so ago. And I read a book by a local civil rights advocate who was involved in physical disability movement. And, you know, I think that there are parallels there to folks 
who have what I call invisible um, hand, uh, barriers, you know, and uh, disabilities. So I have a question. Thank you for sharing that, Frank. Um, going back to your family, did mm -hmm. you know as a kid that they had a mental illness? Did they talk about it? And did they receive any kind of support? You know, silence kind of ruled the day. Um, you know, it was almost like cancer in the 50s. You know, you didn't mention it. It was talked about kind of in whispers and whatnot. And so, yes, I mean, I knew my grandmother behaved bizarrely, but I also knew that she was a lot better, believe it or not, after she had electroconvulsive, you know, what we call shock therapy in the early 70s. That really seemed to help her. And yet still any visit was unpredictable. And, you know, so there was talk about it, but the, the services and whatnot really weren't there. And my dad did not access those services um, himself. Or if he did, I was unaware of it. And my grandmother really was brought by her sister and family uh, for those treatments and whatnot. But uh, I don't think she had any regular ongoing treatment of any sort or assistance. And you mentioned, and I also read about it in, in there's some great articles that you've written um, that you had multiple attempts. Um, were, you, were you being treated for mental illness in between those attempts or what is the timeline there? Not really. And you know, the mind is a interesting thing. I think that our mind and, uh, and our brain tries to protect us. So I have to tell you even about my third attempt, the details are fuzzy. My wife remembers more things about that than I do. The other two attempts are farther removed. And it was when I was still at home uh, after college. One was related to employment, another one was related to a relationship that was rather dysfunctional and almost served more as like a, a trigger for my mental illness. Mm -hmm. In each case, I kind of convinced the doctors and my family, hey, I'm okay, I'm not gonna do this again, you know, I'm all right, you know, this was an impulsive act and uh, was able to successfully deflect uh, their attempts to have me get help. That being said, I did on and off my, on my own seek out therapy, but I never really stuck with it. It was, it was like a monster under the bed that I was really afraid or to, to look at too closely, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I was formally diagnosed by, you know, one of the therapists that I saw. He said I have a mild form. So it's kind of like it was severe with grandma. It was less severe with dad. I have something called cyclothemia is what I've been told, which is a milder form of it, combined also with panic attacks. And, uh, and most recently, I found out that I had ADD, which really was very helpful. It crystallized things. I just thought I was an absent-minded kind of a guy. And I'd come home, reach into my pocket. There'd be all these little notes I wrote to myself, scraps of paper. Oh, yeah, don't forget to do this. Don't, and, you know, it wasn't go get the milk after work or something. That was things I really, you know, hey, contact. Zoom, Zoom with Wendy Singer or, or whatever, you know, it was important stuff. And I knew if I didn't write it down, it was going to kind of, my brain tends to run at a million miles an hour a lot of times. Yes, yes, that it's is all interesting. Over the place. It's I all, got that monkey brain. It's <laughs> all intertwined. It is all intertwined, all of, all Indeed. of this. Indeed. Um, so what about this third 
experience um, helped you to accept that you had a mental illness and um, how was it different this time? Well, my wife's a nurse. She found me. Basically, she saved my life. She summoned help. Unfortunately, the hospital where she worked is less than a mile away from our house. So help got there quickly. It's, I, um, in the hospital, you know, my mother and my wife had a serious talk with me and said, hey, look, you know, this is number three. My wife told me later about how profoundly it affected her. And um, I get a little emotional talking about it, so pardon me. Um, they deny it now, but I had a feeling at the time there was a psychiatric ward, inpatient psychiatric ward at this particular hospital. And they say they weren't going to sign me in, but I was fearful that they were going to do so. And my thinking was, well, I'll sign myself in. and It'll probably go quicker that way. If they sign me in, maybe I'll be in there longer. So it was that. I think I was in a different place in terms of my maturity. Uh, I'm a recovering people pleaser. And uh, I still work at saying the word no. It's very hard for that word to pass my lips. Uh, boundaries were unknown. I lived in what was called the Italian fishbowl, where everybody knows your business and everybody's in your business, whether you want them to be or not. So I've actually been working on this year, in particular, self-compassion, greater self-compassion, and erecting healthy boundaries. And that's meant shedding some people from my life who were draining my energy and in some ways pulling me down so that third attempt was sort of a watershed event in that it was a moment of okay I have to accept this and I was not happy about it because I knew it would mean I would have to do some things I had been fearful of or resistant to doing all this time that is most particularly taking meds. You know, I'd heard so many horror stories about that. Um, going to therapy, I wasn't as averse to, but I wanted to find the right kind of therapy. And I, and I did a lot of research in CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy seemed to be the modality that I thought would fit me best. That being said, I had to make 26 calls before I found someone who accepted my insurance and was taking new patients. Now, I often reflect or talk to people and say, what if I did, what if I ran out of energy at that 25th call and I just was depleted and couldn't make any more calls, but I stuck it out, I sat at that dining room table and I just kept calling until I looked upon this wonderful woman, Hillary, who's been with me all this time and I cannot sing her praises enough. Uh, I've really, come a long way. She, she challenged me. I mean, the first meeting we had, she told me she wanted me to keep a journal. That was really scary to me. I, I was like, you want me to write my deepest, darkest thoughts and feelings? Like I've been hiding those things my whole life. Like that became a way of life for me. I was like, you know, leading this double life. And she said, yeah, she goes, if you want, your first entry can be Hillary wants me to write in a journal and I don't want to do it. And well, that was my first entry. So that's amazing. And I just think I got goosebumps hearing your story and I appreciate your vulnerability and, and sharing some of those details. And 
I think it's a pretty profound moment and thought to think, what if I didn't have the energy to get to call number 26? And I'm so, I'm so glad you did for everybody, for everybody's sake. And I wonder if someone's listening right now and they're, they're looking and they're not quite to call number 26, um, what, what advice would you have for them in that moment? You know, something, uh, support systems are great, you know, and I think even the loneliest of us has got friends who's got family and maybe reaching out and asking, leaning on one of those people and maybe asking them to sit beside you and perhaps help you make the calls. You know, that might be a, a first step, you know, if you just were depleted, because let's face it, when you are depressed, just getting out of the bed sometimes. I remember many a time not even being able to get out of bed when I was really in that down, you know, the bottom of the cycle kind of a thing. So I can understand that. So I, I think that would be my advice is to ask a family member or a trusted friend, could you help me with this task? You know, so I, get I think that's great. Yeah. Cause sometimes when you're in that moment, it just, just to even look up a number or dial the number is hard. So I think that's fantastic advice. Um, you, Just you mentioned- breathing in and out. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. I have often said to people, I don't know if they misinterpret what I mean by it, the act of just breathing in and out could be an effort. And I don't mean living, because sometimes people have interpreted it that way. But I mean, I found out a term that I had never been familiar with, but I knew it, the practice well, presenteeism. There are people, and I was one of them, that I was able to drag myself out of bed. I got to work. But just physically being there was about all I could do. And I just would plow through and being used to and enjoying that up phase where my mind thought very quickly, I could accomplish a lot and this and that, being able to get it by on very little sleep. When I was in a down phase or even an intermediate phase, it felt as if I was like that slow motion, like, like I was trying to go through molasses, you know? So anyway please. And, and how long, speaking about the up phases, I just have another Mm. question. How long, how long did those up phases last? And, Mm. Mm -hmm. you know, would they go, you know, would they cycle every couple of weeks or what was the pattern? It was more, I think it was more lengthy than that. The, Mm -hmm. the, the amplitude, if you will, um, the frequency was kind of unpredictable. I mean, that was the, thing that could be most unsettling, I could mm-hmm. be perfectly fine and I could go to bed and I could either wake up like a cat with my claws in the ceiling, you know, way up in the sky, or I could be in a hole so deep that I, I wasn't even sure if I could see that light, you know, above me. So, um, yeah, I'm not a rapid cycler. I don't think, you know, it was just more here and there. And even now with the meds that I'm on and stuff, I can sense times when I'm more up, I'm more reactive, I'm more impulsive. Spending is an issue I'm working on. I discern through therapy and through the journaling and I begrudgingly told Hillary after about a year, like, yeah, I guess this journaling thing is helping, you know, has <laughs> uh, is, is been helpful uh, to do. Uh, but I discerned financial issues kept coming up. And then I remembered how my grandmother just like sometimes spent like very impulsively and, and, and my dad as well, 
And I was like, oh, wow. It's like, yeah, there's a, there's a script here that's repeating itself. So, so I'm working on that. You're working. <laughs> keep everything a daily spending is, log and I'm trying to track my income expenses and be a little more frugal. It's yeah. not easy. So you mentioned your awesome wife, who sounds like a very special life partner. And you also not mentioned your mom. I got a good one. And my mother. My you mother, got a good one. My mother was my mentor. Uh, she she died about a year and a half ago, and oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, she lives. She lives inside here. She's with you. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how your wife and your mom supported you, um, and still support you, your wife, and and what works? What what worked for you? Well, I should also give credit to one of my sisters. One one lives in Florida, or I think she'd have been there too, but. When I was in that inpatient psych ward for about 10 days, they came to visit me every single day. And that got me through that scary um, experience. I mean, I, I cried myself to sleep the first night. I went in and I was trembling. I didn't know, I, you know, you have all sorts of thoughts. You know, you see things in the media and whatnot. I didn't know if they were gonna tie me down to a bed and this and that or, or what. And, um, you know, tranquilize me. So them visiting meant a lot. And I saw other people who didn't get any visitors the whole time I was there, but they would come during the limited periods of time. Then afterwards, they were supportive of my efforts to get the help and encouraged me. My wife waited a while, but did tell me and had a hard time with me about how it felt to find me. And she filled in what happened and how she found me and and how it made her feel and and it said to me she you, you just can't do that to me again she I, there was full disclosure i felt safe when i met her because she was a health professional she was one of the few people who i was starting a relationship with that i felt safe disclosing and didn't feel like i would be rejected because of that but and she said, okay, yeah, I knew it. I saw the ups and downs, but I never thought you would do this. Uh-huh. So um, she's encouraged the writing. She's, she helped me with the video clip that I did for you. <laughs> I had her looking at my different takes. I said, okay, which one? Take one, take two, <laughs> take three. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and sometimes too, like, you know, even now with the um, ADD, one of the, the, I was having a lot of reactivity and irritability and kind of like, uh, since my mom's passed away, I realized I've been squelching anger a lot. And I don't even know if I was even feeling it, but I, I've started to realize that, yeah, actually I do have anger sometimes. And I don't really practice how to healthily, you know, express it. And my wife's been helping me with that. And one of the things she said before I saw my, I use a nurse practitioner. I had to fire the psychiatrist. That's a whole, that could be a whole episode unto itself. Uh, the first person who I was seeing, you know. Um, but I was getting ready to see my nurse practitioner and this whole irritability issue and anger issue kept coming up when we were talking about it. And I was feeling very guilty because she sometimes was in, the line of fire and I, and I felt terrible about that um she went and looked up in the pdr and said hey you know what this medication you're on vivant she goes that's one of the side effects maybe talking to the npp 
Um, and maybe the dosage could be lowered. And I have to tell you, I did that about two weeks ago and I actually do discern a, a difference there. You know, I tend to be hypervigilant. Some of that I ascribe to my having grown up in Brooklyn, you know, in a little bit of a rough neighborhood and uh, whatnot, you know, my head's on the swivel when I get out of the car and things that my wife is just kind of like, I, I, I joke with her. I'm like, you know, it's like we're on the Serengeti. I was like, you know, the lion's going to, you won't even see the lion coming. I says, I'm going to be, I'm going to see a mile away and I'll be running, you know. But, well, you're uh, a good pair then. You balance each other out and have each other's so. back. I'm like, lion, lion, go, go, go. So I have a question about you starting to speak. Was there a pivotal moment? How did that first talk happen? And what did it feel like? Interesting. I was, I've worked a lot, you mentioned, uh, in the nonprofit human services sector. And one of the things I did twice was I was a director of after school programs. Uh, and I hated school. I did uh, that job too, Frank. That's oh what my we, we, I, we forgot to talk about that offline, but we have that in common. See that fellow travelers. Well, <laughs> I went to a youth conference and there was a gentleman who was the keynote speaker who was talking about youth and mental health. And I just remember sitting in the audience going, oh my God, I'm like, what a great thing. Like, wow, somebody's talking about this. So this gentleman, Mike Benier, was an inspiration to me. And I remember, you know, I, I talk to strangers all the time, you know, and I've always got a business card in my wallet or someplace. And so I went, talked to him about the impact this talk had to me, and we stayed in touch. At that time, several years later, I had this sort of epiphany, talked to my therapist about it, and she was supportive, encouraging, and talked to my wife. What I did is I, my initial outreach was to people I knew in local nonprofits, and I shared an article about myself. I bared myself to them, uh, the one about coming out of the shadows, I called it, and, and my journey with mental health. And I said, guys, I says, I'm going to start telling my story. It would be helpful. And I remember, uh, you know, speaking to a group of about 12 people at one of the nonprofits, uh, you know, that one of my friends ran. And um, I know I know, I got tearful um, during part of, the, uh, part of that. But at the same time, it's, it's also felt liberating. I was so busy hiding and so scared of the negative consequences of both having a mental uh, illness, disorder, whatever we want to call it, behavioral issue, you know, there's all sorts of different labels people put on it. And also then being a suicide survivor, that I was keeping that hidden by embracing it and being more open. I don't necessarily wear it on my sleeve and go around telling everybody, but I checked that box off now when I when I got my most recent job. I, I check off that ADA box. I might need accommodations. You don't have to go into the details and tell them what that specifically is. But God forbid I go into a crisis or I realize I need an accommodation. At least I've set the stage there that, hey, Frank did indicate that there might be something that he needs. And we need to see more of that. So, yeah. And, and I do writing both, you know, the nonfiction that I've shared with you and you've seen I've posted on LinkedIn. I have also written some fiction. I've actually, thanks to my grandson, he's my muse. I've self-published nine, uh, nine children's books that he's usually the, uh, the star of. Wow. I need to get my hands on one of those. I have a 10 year old <laughs> as well. <laughs> That's it's been amazing. fun. It's been fun. 
So looking back, what would you tell your young self now with your life experience? And, and, you know, I have a mantra from, from every challenge, what can we learn from it? And what would you tell, what would you tell your young self? Well, I don't know if my young self would listen because I'm, I'm a stubborn cuss, but to answer your question, um, probably the main message would be to love yourself more. I was very lacking in self-compassion and felt badly about myself. I was bullied as a youngster. I was a geek nerd kind of a thing, you know, and uh, always felt like a bit of an outsider. I've come to see that as a strength, but um, I would talk to that young person and say, hey, you know what, you've got a lot of value. You are lovable. You're not damaged goods. And you know what? Open your mouth and ask somebody for help. Stop hiding it behind a smile because silence is deadly. And isolating yourself and trying to tough it out, you know, we get socialized, especially as males, uh, to not show weakness or pain or even emotion sometimes. And uh, so I would try to encourage that person to, uh, to try to do those things. I don't know if he would listen, but <laughs> I would certainly try to tell him. This is that. great. It's great, important advice. Um, I want to pivot now to your LinkedIn group. Tell sure. me how you came up with that idea and what when it started and how it got so big. Well, the getting big part is a very recent phenomenon. And I actually don't have an explanation what happened, but uh, let, uh, let's go back. It was about 2018, and I'm a very active LinkedIn user. It's one of the only social media platforms I'm on, so I'm not really crazy about what goes on on most of the other sites and whatnot. I'm not going to badmouth or shame people for being on them. You know, different things suit different people, but my place where I Sharon's social media LinkedIn, I began looking around for a place where there'd be a common uh, forum, if you will, for people with all the letters behind their names, the clinicians, the providers, and then folks like myself with lived experience to share resources, ideas, uh, experiences, maybe the latest research or uh, books, seminars, that type of thing. And that doesn't mean it didn't exist. I couldn't find one where both were there, you know, where it was a common ground. So I said, well, I'll create one. I, I managed two company pages for nonprofits here on Long Island uh, on LinkedIn, uh, the Long Island Volunteer Center and a professional association. So I said, well, let me find out how to create a group. And uh, I did. And from 2018 to about this year, it slowly grew to about, 200 members. You know, I don't know if I reached a tipping point, if you will, as Malcolm Gladwell, uh, the journalist and author talks about, or what, but somehow one day I wake up about six months ago, maybe, if, if even that, and there's 1,200 requests, whereas before it was maybe two or three dripping in a week. So I'm not sure if somebody told their whole network and then they told their whole network, but it's just exploded to the point where I've had trouble keeping up with it. I'll tell you, I was very flattered and I don't know if I should really use their name, but I'll just say the president and CEO of NAMI 
was in my requests today. And that that was like a holy crap moment for me. Yes. Wow. I'm like, this dude knows who I am or knows my group. And it has led to a number of these kind of uh, moments. Um, so I think it's been successful. People are sharing, you know, I have to do some vetting because some people are there, you know, some people don't put any kind of a headline and I actually put a message out of folks. And I said, look, I'm trying to accept you all as fast as I can, but if you don't put anything in your headline, then I got to go individually and dig into each person's profile to know whether or not, but if I see, you know, professor of psychology, or if I see mental health advocate or some other such thing, you know, uh, in your headline. Now, not everybody's going to be comfortable disclosing that. And I get that, but if you've got just put some, I was mainly speaking to folks who have no headline whatsoever. It's like, help me out folks a little bit. So I know like what, what's, what's driving you, you know, cause when you send an individual request, typically people will send a message, Hey Frank, I noticed your profile and I see we have this in common, but there it's just a request and a name and, and a picture and maybe a headline. So I'm sitting there trying to kind of accept as many as I can. And, uh, it's, it's, it's been a challenge. I've only had to remove maybe one or two people, unfortunately. You know, one person was attacking other people, and I tried to gently tell a person, hey, that's not the place. This is enough for that that's out there. Maybe you could take that to another forum, but if you don't care for what this person's saying, just don't comment. You know, you don't need to comment or, or interact with them and stuff. They're not forcing their views on you. They're sharing in this forum, and this needs to be a safe space. I'm really, with all that's going on out in our society right now with people being very polarized, I'm super protective of that. And I want, you know, I can't control people's behavior 100%, but I'm trying to say, hey, this needs to be a safe space. Well, I want to thank you because since I've joined that group, I have been led to a lot of really incredible resources. I've connected with some incredible people who I would never have done so otherwise. And um, thank you for sharing that alone. That alone has been um, pretty unbelievable. And here I am speaking with the man who made it happen. And it's, (laughs) that's so cool. Now the funny thing, you said something, I got to back up here now. You didn't know I was the founder of the group, and yet something no. about me, something about me. Something made... you shared. I'll have to go back to that original post. Oh, I, think, so I think you said something post. about your own personal experiences ah. and oh, whatever it was. I just, I emailed maybe, I I, inst- I, I messaged maybe five people that day um, and um, that I thought seemed seemed like people who were mental health advocates who mm-hmm. had some lived experience. And um, I think I, I emailed about a uh, message about five people and everyone was so kind. And, I, and one other person um, has done a video so far and it, it just was great. It was just great. And um, wow. I, I had no idea you were the founder. And then when you were the founder, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I got to learn more, you know? Um, so that's how that happened. I'm so glad that you just told me that it's been a useful thing for you too. I mean, you just... That alone has made it worthwhile then that I did create this place, this commons, if you will. So thank you for letting me know that, that it's been helpful. Absolutely. And we'll put it in the notes of the the text of the podcast. And for our listeners who didn't catch it before, it's called Mental Health Change Agents 
advocates, mental health speakers, and it's on LinkedIn. So maybe you'll get a big, when we publish this, a, a big uptick too. Um, That's fine. More than area. <laughs> we're keeping you and busy. It's, it's international in scope too. That's another thing. Sometimes I don't know what the heck the person's saying in their headline because it's in another language. So I'm, I'm trying to look at that looks like psychology. <laughs> For all the challenges of, of technology and, and, and social media, it is, there, there is a positive and that's the connection of like-minded individuals on our entire planet. And yes. that's pretty powerful because um, we all are, we're all in it together. Um, what's What's next, Frank? Is there anything else coming up on the horizon, a project, an, another another LinkedIn group or a special talk? Anything else that, that's coming up in your life that you want to share with our listeners? I'm especially excited about something that really came about by happenstance. My wife cringes because she's more of an introvert, but I talk to strangers. We were on a day trip on the Hudson River, and there's a castle in the middle of Hudson River, and we're on the boat going to this castle to visit it for the day, and there's a gentleman with a baseball cap, and it says mental health bike ride. So I'm like, hmm. And I always carry some business cards, my mental health advocacy in my in my wallet. And so I struck up a conversation and said, hey, did you do fundraising or some of that? And the gentleman said, oh, no, I work for, it benefited my group, or my group organized it, and it turned out he was the... Uh, one of the people in the leadership team of this Columbia County Mental Health Center, which is upstate New York, uh, near our state capital. And so I gave him my card and I said, hey, if there's anything I can do, uh, you know, let me know if I could be of help to you. Left it there, didn't push it. A couple months later, he calls me. This is the spring. Fast forward to the summer, he calls me and says, hey, we just got this grant to do staff trainings and what have you and stuff. Would you like to be one of my trainers and we're going to pay you for it. And I've done most of my work pro bono. If somebody has thrown me an honorarium here or there, a little something here and there, it's been great. But the majority of my talks and what have you have been free. Well, this guy, I had to go digging back from some of my other consulting work. And I went back four years to find an invoice and put together a proposal for him. And he loved it. And Right now, we're banging the PowerPoint together, and it's almost in its final draft. We actually were on the phone today. He's doing the promo flyer now, so now we're working on that. So that's going to be in November. I'm really excited. This gentleman is – we're very similar in many ways, although he's more soft-spoken, and I have to be careful not to speak over him. He's, he's a slow talker. <laughs> not one of us city folk you know <laughs> so i gotta i gotta kick down a few gears when i'm talking to al so i'm excited about that you asked about what's in the future i think too and you know i honestly have to tell you i don't know and in some ways that's intentional i am trying to live more in the moment now we're in such a fast-paced society. And, you know, I'm not trying to say New York is this and New York is that. But, I mean, I, I feel as if we're in the epicenter of that kind of, you know, you're on that you're on that treadmill, so to speak. And it's all about, well, what are you doing tomorrow? And where do you get to here? And, you know, our society pushes all that. I am trying to kick down and be in the moment. Like when I go on this, I'm going to be in your hometown, Chicago, uh, celebrating my anniversary. I've always wanted to visit. And finally, this, we have an opportunity. It's coming up next week. And 
I've already started to tell some friends and family, look, I'm unplugging. I won't have the cell phone on. I will not be uh, checking emails. And yes, the world will not stop rotating. It's going to be okay. But I want to be present with that person who I am with and who's in front of me because uh, that's really important too. You know, I, I, I think I, I watch and observe, and it's not just young people because a lot of times I hear people tarring young people, these millennials, and I say, you know what? I go to the gym and I got to talk to an adult and say, uh, hey, when you're done exercising your thumbs, you think I could use that machine? <laughs> so, 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 so the older generation, those of us, you know, my age cohort are just, you know, can be just as bad about not being present, you know, me. I me. love your answer. And it just, it's so important. You're so right to be present and enjoy the moment. And mm. I have loved talking to you, Frank. I hope we stay connected forever. Um, I feel connected to you because I think you're you're just an upstanding kind of guy. And um, I appreciate your time. And your wife is so lucky to have you in her, in her life. And your grandson is so lucky. Um, and now our listeners ha- have a little insight into you and they know where to find you on LinkedIn. Um, thank, you. thank you so thank, much for this opportunity. Thank you for joining us, Frank. And have a great time in Chicago and happy anniversary. Thank you. Take care. Namaste. <laughs>